Well, for those who may not know, I'd like to introduce you to an old friend of Life in the Sun. This is Pastor June Escosar. And he is the president of Every Nation Seminary. Uh, Pastor June used to be the director of the Asia region for Every Nation Churches, and so he would, periodically, he would visit us. And during his last visit, uh, Pastor June uh, told me about an incident that happened when he was traveling to another country. He said years ago, he was on a bus to North Korea. And at the border, there was a checkpoint. A guard got on the bus, and he looked at everybody, and he said, are there any Americans here? Fortunately, Pastor June has a Filipino passport. <laughs> now, why would the guard specifically ask for Americans? The history of the Korean Peninsula is complex, but to make a long story short, the United States saw the need to contain communism, and the Korean Peninsula was a hot spot. We were at war with North Korea. That was almost 70 years ago. So as you can imagine, the propaganda in North Korea is very anti-American. Imagine growing up in North Korea. Imagine you've been taught all of your life that America is bad. Now, if that's your mindset, uh, how would you feel about going to America? Would you like to visit? Would you like to become a US citizen? Probably not. But then you wouldn't experience the benefits of being a citizen. You wouldn't experience the benefit of the freedom of speech. Uh, you wouldn't experience a judicial system that says you are innocent until proven guilty. Therefore, you have the right to due process in a court of law. You wouldn't experience a Judeo-Christian ethic that says the purpose of authority is to protect and to provide. And therefore, you wouldn't receive a pandemic check in the mail. All, these benefits are not available in every country. Now, why am I saying this? What you see in the natural is often true in the spiritual. There was a spiritual war in the heavenlies. Satan lost. And now he promotes a propaganda so that people will think that God is bad. That's the message that he wanted Eve to believe. The idea that God is not for you. And as a result of that idea, many people will not go to God. Some people will never experience the joy of being forgiven. Some people will never experience the joy of fellowship with God and with his people. And some people will never enter the kingdom of God. And the reason God says you are to be salt and light is because we live in a world of misinformation. If the people around you don't taste and see, and by the way, that's a reference to salt and light. If the people around you do not taste and see that God is good, then they will never know. They will never know that there is something better. They'll never know about the kingdom of God. And that's why we need to be salt and light. That's why we need to let people see that God is good. We need to let people experience the God who said, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Today's message is about hope for the future. Hope. 
for the future. Let's pray. God, I thank you. The greatest of all things is faith, hope, and love. Lord, wherever we see faith, hope, and love lacking, we see the enemy's message at work. We see the results. And I pray, God, that you would use your word today to encourage, to comfort, to strengthen, and to build your people, Lord, to have hope for the future. Lord, I pray that your light would shine in us and through us so that others will see your light, be drawn to you, and by your grace experience you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the last message in our series on salt and light. It's found in Isaiah 65. I'd like to read several verses for you. Look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad, rejoice forever in my creation, and look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people, and the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they have lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at, the, at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. In those days, people will live in the houses they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyards, unlike the past. Invaders will not take their houses and confiscate their vineyards, for my people will live as long as trees, and my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains. They will not work in vain, and their children will not be doomed to misfortune, for they are people blessed by the Lord, and their children, too, will be blessed. I will answer them before they even call to me. While they are still talking about their needs, I will go ahead and answer their prayers. The wolf and the lamb will feed together, the lion will eat hay like a cow, but the snakes will eat dust. In those days no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. This is clearly a prophecy about the future. And as we read that passage, did it raise some questions in your mind? Most likely. And that's okay, questions are good. Uh, they stretch us, they cause us to go deeper. It helps to talk about our questions. Um, it's in the conversations that new insight is revealed. It helps to talk about our questions with God and with people, but mostly with God. And the reason that's true is because when you read something um, and you have a question, who's the best person to ask? the author. If you want to know what the author meant, you could ask him. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit that is from the world, but we receive the spirit that is from God that we might know the things freely given to us by God. 
which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. In essence, Paul is saying, if you're born again, the Spirit of God lives within you. So you can know the thoughts of God, many of which are revealed in the Bible. Of course, that's a lifelong process. You know, like a baby learns to understand language after years of education and experience. Um, in the same way, it takes years of maturity to better communicate with our Heavenly Father. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't communicate now. You can, but your ability to communicate with God will grow. You know, I could talk to my kids when they were little, but the conversations that we have now as adults are way beyond what they could handle when they were five years old. And I remember my little one, Nicole, she was only three, maybe she's about that high, and she walks into the living room and she talks to Terry and I, and she says, how, how size am I on the feet thing? And we're like, what? She goes, how size am I on, on the feet thing? And we're like, Tara, her older sister, she's three years older. What is she saying? You know, sometimes you need children to interpret children, right? Tara, what is she talking about? She goes, she wants to know how much she weighs on the scale. We're like, oh, well, well think about it. How creative. But you know, this is another way, you know, and we could talk to God. I could talk to my kids. They could talk to me. But there are various levels of communication. And this is another way of saying that we have to learn something so we can experience and know God. And today I'll give you an important key. You know, here's a principle to apply when you read Bible prophecy. Ask yourself, what is the purpose of prophecy? What is the purpose? And the answer is found in Revelation 19. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's the ESV, English Standard Version. The New Living Translation puts it this way. The essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness to Jesus. And so what is the clear witness for Jesus in Isaiah chapter 65? Well, I'm just going to highlight four real quick. Verse 17, he says, in the passage we read, he said, I am creating. In the English Standard Version, New American Standard also, it says, I create. And just think about that for a moment. Who can say that? <laughs> I create. In verse 19, he says, I rejoice and I delight in my people, in my creation. After each day of creation, God looked at it and he said, it is good. And on the seventh day, he rested just to enjoy the fruit of his labor. You know, just to imagine the content heart of a father. This is what God is doing. Creating, rejoicing, delighting. It also says he answers. You know, as we were worshiping this morning, I just imagine, because God says he's always at work, Jesus says, I too am at work, that there are needs that are being touched as we hear the words of the songs, and we're just reaching out to God. And I just want you to know, God hears you. He hears you, and he answers. It may not be in your time, but he hears you. It might be at a later time, but he hears you. You know, I'm reminded of, was it Anna? And who was the other guy in the temple? Simeon. Anna and Simeon. I'm glad my wife is here in second service. 
But <laughs> Anna and Simeon, they had been told that they would see the Messiah before they died. And now they're elderly. Could you imagine that what it was like for them year after year watching in the temple, waiting for the promise to be fulfilled? And then one day Simeon holds the baby and he says, now my eyes have seen. God answers. And in verse 25, he says, I, the Lord, have spoken. God speaks. He speaks. This is what God is doing. But sometimes we can get distracted. We can get our eyes off of Jesus. You know, the writer of Hebrews said, fix your eyes on Jesus. But if we get our eyes off of Jesus, then we can easily get distracted with other things. Like you could read this passage and you go, well, you know, is there really lions and cows in heaven? Or is that just kind of... uh, symbolic thing representing, you know, peaceful coexistence. You know, do snakes really eat dust? I don't know. Is there any nutritional value in dust? I mean, what percentage of dust is skin tissue? What does the research say? You know, is this even about snakes? Maybe it's about demons. You see how easy we could easily get off track taking our eyes off of Jesus? Or even if you got a little more biblical about it and you said, well, what about the big picture? You know, what does this say about the events of human history? Uh, Is this passage talking about the time period when Jesus rules on the earth for a thousand years? Is this the millennial reign? Or is it about his eternal kingdom? Or could Isaiah be talking about both? This is a controversial topic. But I'll share a view that many Bible scholars subscribe to. The Jerusalem of Isaiah verses 17 and 19, pertain to the new Jerusalem of the new heavens and the new earth. But the Jerusalem that Isaiah is talking about in verses 20 to 25, this is the Jerusalem of the millennial kingdom, his earthly reign here for a thousand years. And even that is a controversy among theologians. But this interpretation recognizes that the writers of Scripture They often organized their thoughts according to topics, not necessarily chronologically. Now, for some people, eschatology is fascinating. Eschatology is that branch of of theology that talks about future events. You know, for some people, eschatology is fascinating. But if we're not careful, do you see how easy it is to deviate from the testimony of Jesus? You know, the disciples did that, and Jesus was standing right in front of them. Acts chapter 1, they said the apostles were with Jesus, and it says they kept asking him. (laughs) Can you imagine? Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. Now notice, Jesus did not correct their idea that Israel would be restored. He only said, you don't know when. In other words, we don't know when Jesus will return. And so don't get distracted with details that the Lord has not revealed. Focus on what God has revealed and follow him. In Isaiah 65, God reveals many things. But the most important parts of the prophecy are about Jesus because the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. The essence of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And so these four areas, let's call them the four eyes. I create, 
I rejoice or I delight and I answer and I speak. This is what God is doing. But even the idea of God speaking, we can get our eyes off Jesus and we can get distracted with other details like, well, how does God speak? Is it through dreams? Is it through other Christians? Is it prophetic utterances? Is it mostly through the Bible? And, and it's kind of missing the point. The point isn't how God speaks. The point is the fact that God speaks. And yes, he speaks through the Bible, but he can speak to you a hundred different ways. If we're listening, God speaks. Jesus speaks. This is what God is doing. I'll close with a story. When I was a college student, I went on a short-term missions trip to Wildwood, New Jersey. Wildwood is like the name sounds. It's wild. <laughs> High school graduates and college students, they go there in the summertime and it is a party town. Wildwood has a boardwalk that's a mile long and it's one long carnival. And people are there 24 seven. And so a whole group of us went to Wildwood to go talk to them about their relationship with Jesus. We were there for about two months. We'd work during the day. I remember I worked at McDonald's. And then in the evening, we would go through training. And then we'd go out on the boardwalk and we would talk to people in this big party atmosphere. And I remember after two weeks, I just, I kind of experienced spiritual shell shock because there were so many people I talked to just to get to know them. Hey, what's your name? What you doing here? What's happening? Like, well, no, man. We're just waiting for the next party, you know? And, and just talking to person after person and just seeing the lostness and the hopelessness and the purposelessness, my heart just dropped. And I just got sad and depressed inside. It was just like a spiritual shell shock. After two weeks, one day I was just so sad. You know, I don't, I don't want this anymore. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go out to the beach. And if you've ever been to the beach in New Jersey, it's about a half mile. I mean, it's not like Guam where the sand to the shore is short. You walk a half mile to get to the water's edge. So I'm out there trudging through the sand. I get to the water's edge. I just hang a left. I start walking. I'm looking out at the ocean and the moon is out and it's beautiful. I can see the moonlight shining on the water. I'm just out there walking the beach and all of a sudden I look left. One of the few times I look left and there on the ground is this huge cross. Somebody drew a cross in the sand. And I just knew that's the place I was supposed to stop. And so I just sat down and then I laid back and I'm just looking up at the stars and I just say, God, I just want to go home. I just want to take up my salvation, pack up, and I just want to go home. And the Lord said, sit up. I sat up and I'm about a half mile away from the boardwalk. I can see the people and the lights in the distance. I can barely hear the noise. And I'm out there in this little spot in the dark next to the water all by myself. And God said, you see all those people there? I said, yeah. He said, I want you to go talk to them about me. And I knew from then on that we are to be salt and light. You know, I've thought about that situation over the years. And I thought, man, God is so different from me. I tend to be mercy-hearted. And, you know, if somebody wants an easy out, I'm like, yeah, sure, it's okay, no pressure. You know, one day we're working in the yard with my girls when they were little. Didn't know that Nicole was sensitive to heat. I found out later as an adult that she's, she's, she's had heat stroke several times. 
And, uh, but when she was little, we didn't know that. And so I'm working in the yard with my kids, and Nicole comes up to me, and she's all pink. And she just looks up into my face, and she goes, Dad, I'm not a boy. And I said, oh, no, 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 sweetie, it's okay. You can go inside in the air conditioning. <laughs> you know, if I was God and somebody said, God, I just want to go home, I'm like, it's okay, come on, you can come home. <laughs> but God goes, you see all those people over there? <laughs> I want you to go talk to them. And I knew ever since we are to be salt and light. And the point is this. We were not saved to keep the blessing to ourselves. We are saved to share the blessing with others by being salt and light. Light allows us to see. Salt makes things taste good. When you're in the Word of God and you follow God, you will experience God. And for some people, your life, your conversation with them will be the only light they see, the light of God shining in through you as you talk about what God has done for you. Sometimes the, the, just the taste that you leave through that conversation when they sense peace or they sense somehow you have a sense of well-being, they're like, wow, that tastes good. I like some of that. Where do you get that? Where'd you buy that? Hey, bro, it's free. For the unbeliever, your life your conversation might be the only light they see showing through you. And so I'd like to close with a question. You can think about it throughout the week, talk about it over lunch, life group, whatever. But the question is this, how can I be salt and light to those around me? And what does God want me to do? Let's pray. Our Father, Lord, thank you for this amazing invitation to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, would you enlarge our hearts to love you and to love people so that we will join you? And so, God, do a work in us. Lord, strengthen each one of us to trust, to believe, to have the faith to follow. Lord, I pray that you, not pray, I thank you that you speak. I thank you that you speak to us, and you are guiding, and you are revealing, and you are teaching. And while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I just want to invite you to just take a moment with God and say, God, what is it that you're saying to me? What is it that you want me to do? Just take a moment to listen. It might be now, it might be later today, it could be later in the week, I don't know. But we want to give God room. We want to give Him an opportunity to guide, to allow us to enter into his plan. Lord, you see every heart here. Lord, help us to align ourselves with you, allow you to assign us. And I pray, God, that by your grace, you would give us the ability to follow. 
If you would keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'd like to talk to maybe a handful of other people that may be here this morning as you're hearing me talk about experiencing God. That's something that you've been thinking about. In fact, you sense that maybe God's been trying to get your attention recently. And so you're here today because you're searching. And if that describes you, I'd like to give you an opportunity to respond to God. If you have a choice to invite God into your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. It's real simple. It just starts with your desire and your decision. God knows. And then expressing that to Him. And we'll do that by praying together. I'll pray out loud. You can follow along. God will hear you. But before we pray, I'd like to know who I'm praying with. And I have a signal for that, which is if you would simply look up when my eyes meet yours, then I'll know that we're going to pray together. And so if that's something you'd like to do, go ahead and look up now, and then we'll pray together in a moment. Here. Yes, I see you there. Okay, good. Anybody else? Yes, I see you there. And here, yes. And if I pass by, just raise your hand. I don't want to miss anybody. There's a lot of people. Here? Okay, I see you. Anybody else? Okay, very good. Let's pray. God, I do sense that you've been getting my attention lately. And so I'm here. And I'm making a decision, Lord, to open up, to open my life to you. And so I say, yes, I invite you to come into my life. I invite your spirit into mine. I receive your spirit of forgiveness into my life. And I thank you for Jesus and what he did for me. Thank you for forgiving me. Lord, you know the things I've done. I just thank you for forgiving me. And so I just receive your spirit. If you're praying this prayer, just go ahead and take a moment to do business with God. Let him come in. This is the moment he's been waiting for. God, I thank you for coming into my life. Lord, I ask that you would show yourself to me and that you would reveal your ways to me. Lord, teach me how to live life your way and make me the kind of person you want me to be. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's give a hand to those who prayed that prayer. If you did pray that prayer, I want to ask you to do two things. Uh, number one, tell a friend. Uh, it's important to uh, share together, to grow together. Uh, we are better together. And we have a little gift that will, will help you do that. If you'd come over to this table to my right afterwards, we have a little booklet called One to One. And that'll help you grow in your relationship with God. And that'll be a great start. Sound good? Well, God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next week. And I'm rising up with you. Rising up with you. Rising up with you. Rising up with you. You take me high on the wings of your truth. Yes, I'm rising up with you.
I'm 